0: Hey, it's Metal Dave, along with my co-host Jason McMaster, and welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Today we are going to spend some time talking about one of the great record producers in the hard rock genre, or actually, that's not even accurate. The guy's all over the map. His resume is pretty impressive, but he has done a number of records in the hard rock genre that we'll touch on today, and we'll touch on some others as well. That is Mr. Bob Ezrin. Uh, His career spans four decades, so he's done a ton of work, and we're going to focus on some of that in just a minute. But first, Jason, uh, I know we're just coming out of this crazy winter storm here in Texas, and one of the things that I spent some time doing since I couldn't go anywhere, I was locked up in the house with no running water. I did have power, however, so I was able to spend some time, I stumbled on this film and it was called the Sound of Metal. Have you heard about this?
1: About the drummer that goes deaf?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I haven't
1: pressed play on it because I I watched the trailer and I got bummed out. It is a really
0: uh, it is kind of a dark movie in some sense. It it reminds me of almost like a foreign art film of sorts. Most it's different. not. Yeah, it's definitely got sort of that vibe. Um, it's not a big budget Hollywood slam bang kind of blockbuster movie, not a lot of special effects, not a lot of big name actors. Um, but I, I do believe it was nominated for a, an award of some sort. I don't follow movies that much, so I'm not familiar with the, with the awards, maybe a golden globe or something like that. Um, but anyway, it's called the sound of metal and it's about a guy who is a drummer in, I don't know why they call it metal because the the music to me doesn't sound very metal, but uh, maybe it's just a generic term for loud music. But he and his girlfriend are sort of this rock and roll duo. And they travel around in this RV. It's real DIY, old school kind of thing. They're playing all these stinky clubs. And anyway, he realizes um, that he's going deaf so, so much so that he can hardly hear at all. So he goes to basically find himself, I guess. They have to come off the road. He tries to find medical treatment for his hearing condition. It's super expensive. So he looks for, um, alternate treatments and he ends up at this place that, uh, it's sort of a rehab type place that caters to addicts. And this guy is, uh, a heroin addict who's been clean for four years, but he's still connected to that support system. And so he spent some time in this facility, um, or, uh, I, I, uh, I guess it's, it's a facility, but it's not a medical facility. It's kind of a out, out on a farm kind of deal. And, uh,
1: Anyway, a rehab. He, It's like yeah, a, 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 re, a get get it together place.
0: Yeah, exactly. But it caters to people that are deaf and mute, and they all speak with sign language. So he has to learn all that. Anyway, long story short, um, it's a pretty interesting story. I. It's not necessarily a feel good story. It's not a comedy. It's not a drama. Um, it's just sort of a following this guy through this. Uh, this time in his life when he loses his hearing, which is critical to him because he's a musician, and he learns to appreciate the silence. At the end of it all, the takeaway is he's been stricken with this medical condition and he comes to terms with it. And he actually, I think at the end, almost comes to terms with it and recognizes, recognizes it as being a very peaceful, tranquil uh sort of condition and that's kind of what the the people in the rehab place were trying to teach him. Um so it was pretty interesting. Again, like I said, kind of dark and uh almost filmed like an art film, but uh it's film noir. It's got, a, it's got a connection to music, and uh, I thought it was really cool. I was trapped in the house, and I found it, and I watched it, and it was pretty entertaining. So, yeah,
1: it's, it's sort of on my radar. It comes across my screen, but I, I quickly get out of it. Like I said, I watched the trailer, and um, it, it, I, was, I wasn't impressed with the, um, the premise. I knew that it was going to go deep and get away from, from music, and it was yeah. be more about his condition.
0: Right, right.
1: This has been a spoil alert. Spoiler <laughs> yeah. alert. yeah. We Mess just even ru- and Jason McMahon. We just kind of gave everybody just ruined it for everyone. For, so. it ruined it for everyone. So well, let's we should do this again for another movie that I that I don't like. Just ruin <laughs> it for everyone. <laughs> sure, why not? But I think that I think that um, in in favor of of an idea like that, I think that it's a it's a good idea. Um, yeah, when you think about uh, musicians, hardworking musicians, or well, that's that was the kind of the thing that intrigued me because um,
0: I've been to concerts all my life. All my friends are musicians. I could relate to it because we all, to some degree, have made our poor ears suffer over the years. So. Uh, And we've read about musicians that we love. I mean, Brian Johnson, we talked about him in a previous episode. He had to pull out of a tour, a major stadium tour, because he was in danger of losing his hearing. So, and we've all got the little ringing in our ear, and we've all stood too close to the speakers. So I kind of connected on that level because it's something I've experienced, not from the musician's standpoint, but from the person on the other side of the stage standing right in front of a speaker that's blowing my head off for, you know, the past 40 years.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll play the redneck card. I was impressed with the title, The Sound of Metal. And then when I realized it was about a medical condition, I moved on. I, want, I wanted it yeah. to what the sound of
0: bell Yeah, for? the go. name's a little misleading. It's yeah. it's almost like somebody that doesn't, you know understand the different genres of music named it or whatever and then i thought well maybe they're talking about the abrasive scraping sound of metal not necessarily the genre of music and whatever it doesn't matter at the end of the day it's if you're into music and you're a musician and you stood too close to speakers at some point in your life you can relate to it and i thought it was really well done it's not the feel good movie of the year but i thought it was well acted and and i enjoyed it for an hour and a half or whatever it was the,
1: so, um, yeah. i think that the idea being that you either do have a condition where you're going deaf that's from listening to loud music because you're in the business or yeah. you are in love with the business and you're you're sure you're around loud music all the time and then all of a sudden you have this condition that's could or could not be related to the loud music.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was it was all those things and something that certainly you and I could relate to, and I'm guessing almost everyone listening to this podcast can relate to loud music and and the and the problems that can be associated with it. So today we are talking about Bob Ezrin, one of the great all time record producers. I mean, the guy's had a career that spans, I believe, four decades. I can go back to the 70s, at least, and uh, rattle off some albums that he's been involved with. He's had a hand in a very diverse group of albums, musicians, etc. Touched on a lot of different genres. Uh, He may be best known for his work in the hard rock, heavy metal genre, which is uh, what we'll talk about today. And we'll touch on some of the other stuff as well. But uh, Bob Ezrin, if you don't know, uh, turn over a couple of your favorite albums and surprise, <laughs> you're, yeah. you're probably going to find his name. So uh, when's the first time you saw Bob Ezrin listed as a producer on the back of an album? Tell me what that album was.
1: that That's way, way, way too easy. Um, it was Kiss Destroyer.
0: Bam, same here.
1: So everybody who has, uh, you know, started listening to Kiss at an early age, um, and they they ended up with Destroyer. That would have been in '76, right? And whether I mean, God, surely you read the liner notes on your album covers. Who doesn't? Because, because you're old.
0: Yeah. So if you if
1: you didn't it means you're not old. So that's that's, that's it. That separates the men from the boys literally
0: <laughs> the men from the millennials.
1: Yeah, exactly. So um <laughs> you know uh he he's been active since 1970. So I think that you know his discography is going to be huge because it's yeah. it's going so far back like you said. Yeah. Um He was working with, uh, you know, so many different people, uh, you know, by now that, uh, I mean, I think, let's just stop for a second. People are going to trip out when we say names of albums, and we've already said Destroyer, but there's a couple of them up our sleeve right now that people are just going to go, oh my God, you're not kidding. No wonder you guys did a show on this guy.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah
1: we, we've yet to even get there yet so right right his destroyer is 76 by then he would have been only doing it for about you know five and a half years before he probably even sat down with gene and paul let's just play that
0: card yeah yeah
1: um, i really think that whatever it was he was doing prior to that must have made you know kiss intrigued with uh, his uh, his style, his uh, songwriting ability, that needs to be completely underlined, yeah. and the way he orchestrates music, and the way that they are, get this, going to sound after they're recorded and mixed. The vibe of everything is in going into the microphones. Right. And that's part of his expertise as well as you're in the garage writing the song building the car you yeah know how that he's a guy that knows how that car is it gonna he's is it gonna go fast Bob is it gonna go slow Bob is it gonna is it gonna be the fastest car on the street is it gonna be loud or is it gonna be quiet is it gonna be he he knows everything because he's the engineer he's the writer he's the producer he's involved in the mixing and all of the above yeah when yeah. you're when you're kind of like When you are the producer, you have all of those things going on the entire time, even if you're sitting at a piano or have a guitar or you're just sitting there in a chair with a notepad listening to what, okay, guys, what do you got? And they play you a few songs and you go, yeah, that's pretty good. We can use the bridge. What else you got? You know, it kind of turns into that. It turns into like, you know, uh, a dunking machine. Yeah, <laughs> you put yeah. one up there, and he he throws a ball and hit and dunks it down, or he saves it. You know,
0: yeah, he uh, Kiss Destroyer was the first time I saw his name as well, and um, he has sort of his his trademark, at least on the albums that I'm familiar with. You uh, use the word orchestrated. He's he's one of those guys who, at least in the sort of the hard rock context, is. Known for sort of, uh, as you said, orchestrating, possibly layering, adding drama to songs. I think yes, is, is sort that's of his, very that's well
1: put. his.
0: Yeah, that's his calling card. A um, little bit of trivia about Kiss Destroyer and Bob Ezrin. Do you know? Well, of course you know the song "God of Thunder," and you hear those little kids talking on the walkie-talkies in the intro yeah. to that song. Do you yeah. know whose kids those are? No. Those are Bob Ezrin's kids. Wow. Wow. Yes.
1: know that. That Those little
0: voices that you've heard a million times since you were a teenager that intro the uh, God of Thunder. Those are his kids. And I read somewhere that it was just a last-minute decision to sort – I think they were running around the studio playing on walkie-talkies, and Bob captured that on tape. And thought in some weird twisted way, wouldn't this kind of be a bizarre, weird intro to the God of Thunder song? And it worked out great because it does make it a weird, <laughs> bizarre intro, especially to a song like God of Thunder that's so otherworldly and, and weird. So, uh, yeah, a little trivia there. Bob his kids.
1: Cool. I never knew that.
0: Yeah. Um. And uh, speaking of KISS, he also did the album The Elder, um, which, uh, for better or worse, is also to his credit. Um, We talked in a previous episode about underrated albums, and there's probably a lot of KISS fans that have come to appreciate that album in hindsight, um, just as many or more don't. But um, again, it was an, uh, an album that was very conceptualized and orchestrated to a degree at which, least
1: which is, more which is makes it perfect for bob ezrin to be yeah a... right
0: yeah so yeah the first time i ever saw his name was uh, was kiss destroyer and we should talk about the elephant in the room here um bob <laughs> bob probably made 10 fortunes um for producing pink floyd's the wall one of the best-selling landmark albums of all time, and that's, how that's long, Bob Ezrin.
1: I was Ezrin. wondering how long you were going to sit on that. Well,
0: you know, once we get talking about Kiss, it's kind of hard to shift gears, but there there you go. Yeah, yeah Pink Floyd, The Wall.
1: Yeah, that doesn't—what uh, a game-changer. Uh, it, it, Absolutely. It, uh, it was the midnight movie of everyone's— uh, of a certain age, there was, you know, the midnight movie in the olden times, we would go to the movie theater at midnight and see the wall. And the wall was a production that, uh, had Bob Geldof from the Boomtown rats, uh, starring in it. That's right. Yeah. He, uh, I don't know if, if his connection to the band members of Pink Floyd or even Bob Ezrin, if there's any, uh, ties there or not. Um, do you have any ties?
0: I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was friends with Roger Waters. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I would imagine. You know, the, both those guys are British rock royalty, so I'm sure they cross paths at some point. You know, that might be the connection. But
1: when you when you think about the things like uh, that are happening on Destroyer, like. If you're a KISS fan, all the KISS fans out there, let's just put your nerd hat on and lean in, right? (laughs) Right now, hard. Lean in hard and think (laughs) with us really hard. You're not living under a rock. You've heard The Wall by Pink Floyd. Now think about Destroyer. Now think about The Wall. Think about Destroyer. Think about The Wall. Think about how the songs and the tones... And the, the things that are interestingly weird about destroyer and then think about the wall and how the songs are put together. I mean, God of thunder, the intro God of thunder, that little, just like little, like weird thing. And, you know, he thought of that on the fly and put that in there. I guarantee the things that are weird that are in the background on Pink Floyd's, the wall were things that Pink Floyd needed that, you know, they're Pink Floyd. They would have come up with something interesting anyway. But yeah. Abesrin is the guy to do that kind of a thing. And I, I, I don't think that, I want to say it was kind of unprecedented for, for production, uh, for someone who's an outside uh, writer and producer and engineer to be hired by a band because he also writes songs with the bands. He's the fifth Beatle, you know. He's the guy that's yeah. coming and, and like saying, "What if you did this?" and what it really kind of gives legs to the name producer. And I, when I think of producer, I don't think of an, an engineer as a guy who's setting up microphones. Right. Producer does a little bit of that, but there's way more involved. Yeah. And Bob Ezrin is one of those guys that, I mean, let's talk about this. Let's lean hard on Destroyer again. He's He co-wrote Beth, Kiss's only number one song that Gene and Paul are mad about. Why are they mad? Because they didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> nothing, they had nothing to do with it. They, thought it. they thought it was a throwaway song. Yeah, yeah. And Peter Christ had the well, concept. It was a B-side he got in there with right to to probably the the biggest kiss song ever detroit rock city is yeah. that correct
0: yeah i think so yeah maybe,
1: maybe do you love me was i think also oh. another sort of b-side to to that
0: Possibly, yeah. Uh, I know yeah. I know. Beth was released as a B-side and some DJ in the Midwest turned it over and made it a hit. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> he started go. playing the wrong side of the 45 that was sent to him by Casablanca and all of a sudden this throwaway track was the most requested song. It was a huge, huge hit. But um, yeah, and it's on the album that Boz, Bob Ezra produced. And I, one of the things I was going to mention, uh, especially with Kiss and uh, Pink Floyd... Uh, it it seems to me that Bob Ezrin is one of those producers that bands seek out because they actually want his input. He's not just a babysitter. They respect and appreciate his, his creative input and what he brings to the table. And they, and they welcome it with open arms. And a lot of times, I mean, it's a badge of honor at this point to say you work with Bob Ezrin. Oh yeah. But, um, a lot of times Bands and producers will butt heads, and the you know the the band doesn't want to listen to the producer, and the producer is finding the band hard to work with, or whatever. And I think Bob sort of has a reputation as being a very strong-minded, uh, creative type, but his ideas are almost you know at least, always heard, if not incorporated they at least hear him out and a lot of times because they're willing to listen to him and because he's just such a creative genius um what he brings to a band actually um adds adds muscle to it and drama to it and makes it something it couldn't have been without him so
1: that's correct I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you are bringing you're you're adding to a couple of things that I've that I said earlier that I that I couldn't, that I didn't, uh, underline very well. And I think that he, he is part of the band's sound because the band wants him to help them. Yes. So, like with a tone, like the, the wall has a tone. Yeah. Uh, and it's very memorable to, or comparable to the tone that's on uh, destroyer and yeah. com- almost recognizable. If you know what you're really listening for, Yeah. Uh, I I I think that the fact that, that he is a songwriter and and a composer, um, and works in all different levels of of theater. He's a philanthropist. He's a winner of so many awards, and he's worked with all of your favorite bands that you don't even realize. Um, th- they want him for the same reason that you know Alice Cooper and Kiss want yeah. him um dave tell let's talk about alice cooper yeah i
0: was that's i was going there next i mean great alice cooper so
1: real quick let me set you up for it i think that it was really early on uh love it to death album 71 70 well if he if if bob's only been doing it since 70 that sounds funny when i say it uh he's only been doing it since you know he's only been doing it since 1970 that would that that means that alice was his first real project probably one of the first yeah
0: and and alice uh, at that point in his career was still trying to develop his sound and figure out what kind of band the the alice cooper band was going to be you know um they had those first two albums, I, I think they were working more heavily with Frank Zappa, and uh, yes. and they were just as weird as you – I mean, a lot of people like them, but it wasn't what became the Alice Cooper sound. The Alice Cooper sound, I think, was built off of the Love It to Death record, which is Bob Ezrin. Correct. And again, um, it's a little more – primitive sounding maybe, but you take a song like, uh, the ballad of Dwight Fry, and you hear how dramatic it is. Um, and it makes perfect sense that, I mean, that became Bob Ezrin's sort of calling card is, is adding drama and taking left turns and maybe stretching songs out that would left to the band's own devices. Maybe it would have been a, you know, Three three and a half minute radio single, but Bob sort of drags it into some other thing, other he's dimension. Got,
1: he, he, he's got character actors in the song. Yeah,
0: yeah, Act exactly. It's,
1: it's theater. The, he's and, doing theater in the studio. It's like it, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm repeating myself from a from a prior episode. But Ballad of Dwight Fry is like listening to a movie. Yeah, while your ears are watching a movie.
0: It's very cinematic. That's and, right. Yeah, and that was just the start of it with Bob and and the Alice Cooper band. He did the killer record. He did Billion Dollar Babies. He did Schools Out. I mean, um, all the fifth, classic— He's the fifth Beatle, man. He kind of, in some ways, uh, Bob Ezrin did for Alice Cooper what Martin Birch did for Iron Maiden. It's like once Bert, they Bert, met Bert, each Bert, other— Bert
1: Martin for the Beatles.
0: Yeah, it's exactly. It's like yeah. once they met each other, they they built such a strong and productive and creative relationship that they went on to work on consecutive albums multiple times. And the whole first half of Alice Cooper's catalog, minus those first two albums that, uh, that they worked with uh, Frank Zappa, uh, what would be considered the classic Alice Cooper band titles, were uh, were them working with Bob Ezrin and like you say um, his ability to sort of develop characters sonically when you work with a guy like Alice who's all about having characters in his song that partnership is naturally going to evolve into something really strong and and a lot of mutual um, appreciation for each other so yeah his work with Alice Cooper is is amazing
1: Let's it's, let's talk about real quick. Let's let's don't be done with Alice yet. No, because we but, should
0: go. We should go to Welcome to My Nightmare as well. Yep,
1: you're reading my mind. Yep, it's important to know that Ballad of Dwight Fry on the, what would be considered in a lot of people's collections as the first uh, uh, Alice record, which it's not, um, but it's the first with Bob Ezrin, which, as Dave said. It really sort of sets up this theme and the sound and tone of what we loved about Alice Cooper. Now, yeah. um, I think it's the song, Stephen.
0: Yep. you're re- Now you're reading my mind.
1: That is sort of the sister song to ballad of dwight fry there your your ears are watching a movie it's it's like a movie he's talking to you it's almost narrated yeah and it's very very important uh to realize that this is all going back to the wall there's character on that there's you're 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 watching a movie i mean dude the wall is a fucking movie yeah right yeah but it's also exactly. an album by Pink Floyd and Bob Ezrin, so right. hey, uh, that's that that is a main point. Um, what's your what's your favorite song on here? Let's just be fans for a second.
0: Uh, which album? Welcome to my Welcome
1: nightmare. To my nightmare. Yeah.
0: Oh man, it's it's got so many good ones, but I've always been a fan of Cold Ethel. <laughs>
1: yeah. I just
0: I love the humor in that song. I love that it's rocking and it's it's twisted humor, you know. Oh yeah. Ethel, of course, being spelled E H, or E T H Y L, meaning alcohol, and yep. uh, it's sort of a play on on a girl's name. And he talks about making love to Ethel by the refrigerator light, and he's talking about sneaking downstairs in the middle of the night to hit the booze, and, uh, and
1: all I mean. Of- In all these years, there's many, many people that, and you see the stage show and he's walking around with a man dancing with a dead mannequin. I thought it was, uh, you know, necrophilia.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the the
1: refrigerator. That's the
0: double entendre. Exactly. Exactly. That's the magic of Alice Cooper. Completely
1: Uh, genius and freakish and 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 actually feel cold when I listen to Alice sing the song. Yeah. And that's Bob Ezrin making that happen.
0: Little sidebar: I remember the, the first time I ever saw your band, Dangerous Toys. You were covering that song, am that I right? Is
1: correct. That is correct, man. Rem- you're reading, that's a that's a long time ago.
0: I know. I remember it. I remember yeah. it well because I couldn't believe I'm watching a band covering Cold Ethel. Oh my yeah. god!
1: What yeah, are the I chances? Feel like, I feel like we did that pretty good. We were all huge fans.
0: Yeah, that, uh, obviously.
1: You know, eventually wrote a song and dedicated it to Alice, but. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the um, Cold Ethel is is super super fun. I think that there is some like sort of cheeky bubblegum, almost like glam rock. You know, like similar to the Sweet or something has pulled that out, but uh, like Department of Youth, where yeah. it's kind of like bouncy and has like a choir uh, yeah. in the background and stuff like that. See, that's that's Ezrin. All of that stuff. I mean, there's like all the kids on the wall. We don't. Need, it's the same thing. Right, right. It's, rel- it's relative. It's and all- the
0: song, the song "Black Widow" is another. I mean, that whole album, "Welcome to My Nightmare," is, if I'm not mistaken, it's it's a, it's at least a loosely based concept album. It may be a full on concept album, but there is a there is a cohesion and a theme that runs through the entire album. And at that point in Alice's career, he's no longer leading the Alice Cooper band. He is now Alice Cooper, the solo artist, and so he he was kind of moving in a different direction. He was he was doing more um, complex arrangements and and things where there where you would bring in strings and orchestras and choirs and things of that nature so uh again bob Ezrin's stamp is all over that record
1: he did he did the same with uh on let's go back to destroyer for just two seconds um he did that with great expectations Yeah, yeah he's got all the kids singing again he's got the choir he's got the orchestra it's heavily swimming in uh reverb and echo the guitar is really haunting yeah um Let's let's go let's go back to uh, to um, Alice Cooper. Welcome to my nightmare. The title track is not written; doesn't have a writing credit for Ezrin, but his influence on the band is like a brick. It's hitting you. It's like stubbing your toe. It's like it's it's like yeah. You, you feel and hear Bob Ezrin on the on just the songs that he's not on, and I I will say that. Ezrin's on over is like a writing credit on over half of the record. Yeah. And this is this is a theme with Ezrin. Um, But the title track sounds like Bob Ezrin wrote the whole thing.
0: Yeah. And that album, that album came out either the same year or just after Kiss Destroyer. So he was a hot producer at that time.
1: He he was busy.
0: Big Uh, time.
1: Yeah, I'm just I'm just checking this. It's seventy five, so it was right before.
0: Right before, okay.
1: Kiss was busy blowing up.
0: Yeah. So he, he was he was a hot producer at that time. And uh here's another one just before those two albums. Aerosmith's Get Your Wings is Bob Ezrin.
1: Holy crap.
0: Yeah. So you think about that. yeah. So think about those song titles, Lord of the Thighs.
1: Yeah. I mean
0: all that slinky vibe, you know, seasons of wither seasons of wither. Yeah. Another one. Yeah.
1: That sounds like Bob Ezrin, whether he has a writing credit on or not is important. That's important. Yeah.
0: But he, he was, he was part of that record as well. Uh, He worked with Lou Reed. He worked with uh, which here's another one that I, I found to be kind of an oddball, but he worked on the, he did the Hanoi Rocks record Two Steps from the Move. And Hanoi is not, I don't know why I'm saying this, but they're not the type of band I would expect to work with Bob Ezrin, because of all the things we just said, Bob Ezrin kind of has this reputation and his catalog kind of comes from this place of very like intellectual and orchestrated and and drama and cinematic and 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 all these types of things that are the last things I think of when I think of Hanoi Rocks, right?
1: Yeah, there's I, a little bit of uh, there's more edge to the band. They're a little more uppity. They yeah, got atti- their attitude is is only different. Like the theater aspect is not necessarily there. In, yeah, in the, exactly. And yeah, yeah, exactly. In the sound the songs. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, they're not they're a, just a scrappy, dirty rock and roll band and and in fact they sort of wear their simplicity and their and their raggedness on their sleeve, you know. So yeah, I yeah. found that to be an odd pairing, but um you know, the Hanoi was uh, signed to a major label at that point in their career, and they were trying to turn them into big stars in America. And if you're trying to break a band in America, who are you gonna call? <laughs> Bob Ezrin, yeah. right?
1: There's so very few people that you're gonna call if you're if you're probably influenced by, uh, you know, Al. Deep Purple and Alice Cooper and Kiss. Well, and there I, you
0: go. Michael yeah. Monroe is a huge Alice Cooper fan, so uh, it, it it doesn't make. I mean, it makes perfect sense now. You yeah. know, maybe he, he might have made the call and said, "I'm looking for Bob Ezrin specifically because I'm a huge Alice Cooper fan," and uh, the success he had with Kiss probably didn't hurt either. So. There, now that I stop and think about it, and we're having this discussion, there's more connection there than I might have imagined at first glance. So
1: this again, and I'm repeating myself. This is again why this is completely valid for a Talk Louder podcast. Yeah. With- yeah. Putting all of these, connecting these veins, and Frankensteining—it's already Frankenstein together. It's a, it's a it's this it's got this flow. It is its own ecosystem that is Bob Ezrin.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that I enjoy about this show is I think people are aware of this individually. Like they would look at each one of these albums we're talking about and they go, "Oh yeah, Bob Ezrin did that." But it's not until you have a conversation about the big picture and his entire catalog. Where your the light bulb goes off in your head and you go, "Oh wow yeah this this guy's this guy's been all over the place, you know, so I think people know the name Bob Ezrin and they associate it with this album and this album and this album, but when you speak about it in the larger how they're all connected, and then you start making the the connections like we just made with Michael Monroe and Alice Cooper or uh, Alice Cooper and Dick Wagner and Bob Ezrin and, you know, how all these people are sort of intertwined. Um, that's where, you know, the, the big light goes off and you think to yourself, wow, this guy has really contributed a lot to hard rock and popular music in general. Here's another one. Uh, I don't know much about this album, but, uh, Lou Reed, very important figure in, uh, in rock history, of course, with the Velvet Underground, and then as a solo artist, uh, Bob Ezrin did the album Berlin, which I don't own. um, But uh, it's considered a landmark album and influenced uh, tons of people that came out around this time that David Bowie and Lou Reed were hanging out. And yeah, so you could say, yeah. I mean, that that album Berlin influenced later generations like Nine Inch Nails and 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 uh, Deftones and people like that that came to prominence a generation or two later. Uh, but I can guarantee you, Trent Reznor has that album in his ca- in his collection at home. You know. Yeah.
1: And yeah. again, feel, there's a there's feel,
0: a Dick Wagner ahead, connection sorry. there. I think uh, Lou Lou Reed and uh, Bob Ezrin.
1: Oh, Dick. Yeah, because Dick Wagner played with Lou Reed.
0: Right. And then Alice Cooper. And he's he did some work on that Aerosmith album we were just talking about, Get Your Wings as well. So
1: didn't Dick Wagner, uh, he must have been friends with Bob or or something anyway, because didn't uh, Dick Wagner play on Destroyer?
0: I, yeah, I think he's uncredited <laughs> on one side. I think he did Sweet, Sweet Pain.
1: The solos on Sweet Pain. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the yeah. story I hear, it's just rumor, don't quote me on this, uh, is that Ace was drunk and in a card game across town. Yeah. <laughs> and said, uh, I'll, yeah, they can just wait. And yeah. they were like, nope dick standing right here he's gonna yeah. plug in and play, <laughs> play a song and we're going we're going out to eat after that And you're going to show up with your boots on and <laughs> be, we have left the building
0: so. and the lights are going to be out yeah right. yeah but again see it's conversations like this where you connect all these dots and you realize uh how uh, impactful bob Ezrin was on so many bands and so many landmark albums um, and, and still busy to this day. We were talking earlier at the top of this episode how he uh, has been doing this for forty some years. He just got done producing the the brand new Deep Purple album that just came out at the either at the end of twenty twenty or early twenty twenty one. It's basically a brand new album, and uh, yeah. and that's a Bob Ezrin record. So he's still active to this day, very much so.
1: Well, it's a legend working with a legend.
0: Yeah, exactly. He's cre-
1: creating, I, he created legends, and now legends want him to him to work with them. Yeah, uh, it's a strange that's feel that hurts my brain to say what I just said. I don't <laughs> think I could say it again. Um, which uh, I'm gonna just like I'm spinning the wheel here. Go for Didn't it. Didn't he do a uh, Jane's Addiction record? Yes. Okay. So there Didn't you he go. Do, like, did he do the Jane's Addiction record?
0: No, he did. Um, he did a, a record called Strays, that oh. was sort of Jane's had their moment in the sun, and then they kind of broke up, and Strays was kind of one of their comeback records if for lack of a better term uh it it was pretty well received and they toured it and it brought them back into the headlines and everything so it wasn't it it wasn't quietly swept under the rug it 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 made headlines and and got the band back on stages and out on the road and all that um so and i want to say i want to say that Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers played on that album. And if he didn't play on the album, I want to say he did the tour. So there was sort of some added James. star power. Yeah. yeah.
1: There
0: was there was some added star power at that point uh, when Janes kind of came back. But that just goes to, to prove the point I was just saying. You know, we talk about all these classic albums from the 70s that Bob was producing, but he... He also was very uh, instrumental in uh, Nine Inch Nails, Jane's Addiction. He did a Deftones record. Um, so some of the names that were the kings of their genre or their era, if you will, uh, bands that were the all the rage, you know, during the 90s, early 2000s or whatever, uh, Bob was still doing his thing at that point. So... Yeah, good on him. He's he's stayed very active and very prolific, and continues to have a lot of success even to this day. Like I said, with the brand new Deep Purple album,
1: but I think that it's um it's safe to say that uh you know why why uh you know I'm not a big fan of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and you know I think that it does stand for something that's that's cool. I don't really like the idea of, uh, or even have to having to think about, um, music fans getting into a big giant argument about who should be in there and who is not deserving to be in there. Yeah. And I have my own opinions about that. Um, but you know, don't they, uh, nominate producers as well?
0: I th- I think they do. I can't see how they wouldn't. I mean, I, I have to believe that George Ooh, Martin is in the Hall yeah, of sure. Fame.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Is like yeah. I I don't. Uh, I've watched a couple of those uh, specials where you know you watch, you know, inductions of of uh, of artists into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and um, they've been they've been entertaining but I always see like these montages of, you know, fallen rock heroes that they they'll play and they'll, it's always a, a touching moment. And I think that that's great. Um, but I don't remember, you know, uh, uh, you know, Roger Waters stepping up to the plate and going, I'm, you know, I'm awarding, you know, and, and doing this hour long speech about how kick-ass Bob Ezrin is and, handing him some kind of statue that says bob you're badass yeah, yeah kind of a thing but yeah. god damn it, they should <laughs> i don't know someone I w- should can we I- make a talk louder award and just mail it to bob because sure <laughs> <laughs> i'll make mache some shit real yeah. quick yeah, exactly, it'll show
0: up in his mailbox if he what's this junk mail. Yeah, what's this, throw it throw in the trash. This,
1: yeah, some, <laughs> this, this is hate mail. And I was like, no, yeah.
0: no, no, it was made with love and appreciation. Yeah. But yeah, um, I, I don't know. The producers are. It's kind of like when you see one of those award shows that recognizes actors in movies. What you don't see on primetime is the foreign film, the the supporting actors in a French film. You know, all that stuff gets done while the cameras are off. And so I have a hard time believing Bob Ezrin isn't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And if he's not, he will be one day. But he's not going to be – I I don't think is going to be in the spotlight like the artists themselves, because that's just not the role that producers play. Although I would argue in his case, and as you said, George Martin with the Beatles, and we did a whole episode on Martin Birch. Those are guys that deserve to be stepping up to the podium if they're still alive and accepting their award and taking the credit they deserve.
1: That's right. Bob. Whether whether it be the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or or the Talk Louder podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're not on the same uh, we're not on the same mailing list, but I, I will tell you <laughs> that uh, I feel like uh, uh, Bob Ezrin is. More than deserving with just like you could take the, the first three records we talked about, and then people would just their head is spinning already when you say, uh, well the the two Alice's that we've given a lot of love, which would have been uh, Nightmare and Love It to Death. Oh, uh, we gave about five of, Alice. We gave about yeah, five killed, Alice Cooper records. Yeah, yeah, but as well as well as Destroyer and the Wall. Yeah. I mean, that right there, people, what? Yeah. It's like, yeah, we're talking about Bob Ezrin. Who's that?
0: Exactly.
1: But he's all over your record collection.
0: Yeah, and you didn't even know it. Or maybe you do, um, but you probably didn't piece together, like I said, the other pieces of the puzzle that bring this into a much bigger picture that, you know, sort of encompasses just how far his reach was over the decades and how many genres and artists he's worked with. Yeah. Um, Here's one I wanted to bring up. I I wasn't aware of this one, but it has a connection to you in sort of uh, a, a, an offhand way. The band Bonham,
1: and okay. I know yeah.
0: I know you know them because you toured with them. Yeah. Uh, so
1: so lem- you're setting this up, but Bob Ezrin did that Bonham record. He did a
0: Bonham record. He did the one that came out. In 1989, so that would have been the album they were touring. I believe oh my, when yeah. you were touring yeah, with
1: them. that's right. That's right. So he did what I would call the bottom record. If yeah. I made a record after that one. Nobody uh, heard it. I'm trying to remember the single. I heard it every night for three months. <laughs> <here> right. <now. laughs> well, uh, if you can't. Think- I, we used to we used to make fun of it because uh, it rhymes with drink a brew. Oh, I, I want to do it's something like stay with you
0: or. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Something. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. it's a catchy song and it's, and it was very good. And I wonder if Bob Ezrin wrote that.
0: I don't know, but he produced the record. It was called the disregard for timekeeping or That's something right. like that.
1: That's and exactly they, right.
0: they did have a radio single. They had a video on MTV. Of course, the band takes its name from, uh, uh, Jason Bonham, uh, John Bonham's son. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to bring that one up because that's maybe one of the lesser known albums in Bob Ezrin's, uh, list, long list of credits, but, uh, there is a connection to you. So I wanted to bring that one up. Yeah.
1: It's, it's worthy. It's worthy of mentioning because of the Led Zeppelin, uh, connection with, uh, Jason Bonham. Uh, it's funny because you have Jason Bonham and uh, not not to make it be about me but uh Jason's singer was named Daniel McMaster.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: To be my last name. Now right. he he's he put an A between he, it was M A C. Right. Um which could have been my original spelling when my ancestors got off the boat. Yeah. Uh so so to speak, right? Now uh the fact that Bob Ezrin did this kind of like 80s hard rock band is interesting to me, similar to how you originally felt when you were saying Bob Ezrin Hanoi rocks.
0: Exactly. You're yeah. Trying
1: to stick those together. But then after you thought about it for a moment, you're like, Oh, yeah, well, yeah, okay, right, 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 right. Yeah. Uh,
0: And in the case of the band Bonham, I would say that the connection was Bonham, you know. So uh, Jason Bonham, probably very aware of who Bob Ezrin was. And Bob Ezrin, of course, very aware of who Jason Bonham is. So there's probably a mutual desire to work with each other and see if, hey, maybe we can make the planets align, you know, if we put our talents together.
1: Yeah, that Bonham single was called Wait For You.
0: Wait For You, know. that's it. Wait yeah. For you. yeah, that's it, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah it was pretty <laughs> soothing, and it was like, a, if it could have went, I'm not comparing it to Led Zeppelin because Bonham was nothing like Led Zeppelin. It would have been on something later, like, uh, in my opinion, they weren't anything like Led Zeppelin. Uh, Singer
0: I, tried to sound like Robert Plant. He kind of uh, had a Robert Plant. A little
1: bit. He had the hair. Uh, yeah. Uh, and and there is some kind of you know the 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 swing that uh you know John Bonham did to Led Zeppelin. I think Jason did did pretty well and emulated in some places, but just when you when you think about the band Bonham and what they were doing and you saw the video, you didn't really think Led Zeppelin is my point. Um, yeah. but you know it's uh it's important to know that that song was a single and pushed i'm it just because it's just a a feeling that i have is that i think the label felt like it sounded like a later led zeppelin track yeah something uh that could have been off of uh you know the last studio record into
0: the outdoor or something
1: correct
0: Correct. yeah 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 and i think they've figured they were going to market the name Bonham, you know, and and sell some records on on that, uh, that highlight. You got the son of the drummer from Led Zeppelin in this band and, you know, you got the singer and the that kind of sounded like Robert Plant or looked like him. So there was, you know make no mistake there was somebody in some back rooms going hey we've got a winning formula here
1: <laughs> yeah and and hence they were able to get bob ezrin exactly um, but but it's still interesting that bob ezrin ha- had a uh sort of hand in something like Bonham that was um, going for more of like maybe white snake light yeah yeah you know, the british thing and and everything's blues based and yeah you know, decent guitar player uh right. decent, decent singer stuff like that yeah uh, yeah what what else what else uh, well, uh yeah i wanted to talk about this real quick our producer jared our producer jared yeah uh, played guitar in a band called pariah that yes. eventually uh released a record um Tom Zutaut uh, from Geffen signed them, and they made a great rock and roll record called uh, "To Mock a Killing Bird." Yeah, and uh, I believe Tom Worman produced that. But the but, but the the six degrees of separation here that we're talking about Bob Ezrin in this episode of Talk Louder is this: Jared had just joined Pariah; it was round eighty nine, which would have been right around the time that Bob was doing or had just wrapped on the bottom record. Bottom record. Yeah. yeah. The timeline here. So I I'm not sure uh what the story is about why or how Bob Ezrin was in Austin, Texas, but Jared and his band came to Austin and and had dinner. They, they here let me back up a little bit. Uh Pariah the the band had just signed with management. Uh, and their management was able to arrange a meeting uh, when management realized how big of like KISS fans and Alice Cooper fans the guys in Pariah were and he was able to get Bob to you know come and have dinner with them and just hang out you know and they were uh, the band was writing at the time so I'm sure that Jared and everybody was like man you know we need to write a record we need songs and Bob Ezrin, let's go pick his brain. And so Kevin Womack, the band's new manager, set it up. And they they came to Austin and they went to uh, Pecan Street Cafe down on 6th Street. Yep. And had fucking dinner with legendary Bob Ezrin in the- <laughs> 1989. And um, that's just amazing because wow. it's like he was the main course they were able yeah, yeah. to just get a little in there and and pick his brain a little bit and and then they probably went home and made made a, a record. They didn't you know use him as a producer or anything, but that's not the point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the point is is uh, to, they got to, to they got to break bread with Bob Ezrin. That's right. Breaking yeah. that'll be the title of Jared's book: Breaking, Breaking bread.
0: bread with Bob Ezrin. And I was going to yeah. say. When we uh, when we nominate Bob Ezrin for the Talk Louder Hall of Fame, we're going to we're going to name drop Jared to get Bob
1: to. He'll you know. be like who Bob will be like who, <laughs> <laughs> and and
0: then when he realizes he's got to pay his own airfare, he's going to be like I'm out these clowns forget it.
1: <laughs> oh that's awesome. A little little sidebar. This is I'm not I'm not bagging on Jared at all, but. Uh, the story in, doesn't end very well on the ride back. They were still living in the band Pariah and Jared's him and his guys. They were still living in San Antonio at the time.
0: Yes. Right. And
1: on the way, the way back home, Jared tells me that he was having a lot of, of abdominal pain and it yeah. ended up being appendicitis oh. <laughs> so had to look. that night or the next morning in the, you know, wee hours, he was, he went to the hospital. Oh and man, It's taken out. Yeah, that's great. So he
0: has yeah. dinner with Bob Ezrin and then spends the drive home to San Antonio curled up in the back seat of a car.
1: I just, remember Percon Street having really good food. I, I, it's not the food. I, <laughs> yeah. It's just Jared's feeling appendix. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Exactly. exactly. Let me let's touch on one more name yeah. as, as it relates to Bob Ezrin and. You know more about this artist than I do. And I'm not sure how strong the connection is, but i I want to say you were mentioning in an earlier conversation that there's a tie between Bob Ezrin and Max Webster out of Canada. Is that yeah, right? So
1: so I didn't know this until I did a little bit of research. the Uh, the demos of Canadian because I don't uh, surely we've mentioned that Bob is Canadian Toronto right right right. so so Max Webster is this uh, very interesting uh, a little odd um, uh, rock band out of out of the same area used to go on tour with Rush all the time did yeah Early '70s tours. Once Rush was able to to headline in theaters and and uh, up to around 2,000 and 3,000 seater um, coliseum type places, they would always seem to always take out Max Webster. Well, yeah. well, I found out today, Bob Ezrin, he recorded their demos, like he wow. recorded Max Webster, like when he was just a fledgling, just hanging out rock and roll, like I'm going to be a producer someday kind of guys from what I could tell from my research, which I just think is a very interesting connection because Max Max Webster, I mean, I've covered Max Webster songs before uh, on on later, you know, later releases, probably not anything that, oh, I don't know. Uh, Bob Ezrin could have been that six degrees of separation that I had by songs i covered by max webster that song could have been on a demo that bob Ezrin recorded
0: who yeah. knows who knows but, but you, yeah the, uh it makes sense um they're both from canada um so it would make sense that an aspiring producer would uh, cross paths with an aspiring musician and uh they would get together at an early point in each of their careers and help each other out a little bit.
1: Certainly Bob Bezrin has uh, had a hand in so many uh, Canadian artists just by demographics.
0: Yeah. That yeah. we
1: don't know about, that are not uh, public information, that are yeah. not or not, you know, not documented very well anyway. Maybe fine print. Yeah. Well, we've only touched
0: on a, a handful of Bob Ezrin's credits, uh, definitely some of his bigger ones, because I think that it's fair to say his biggest um, album credits are, are in the hard rock slash heavy metal genre, if you will. Um, Alice Cooper, Kiss, Pink Floyd. and uh, But yeah, if you look him up, his, his long list of albums that he's associated with goes on and on and on. So we could never capture it all here, but uh, we definitely hit on the highlights tonight. So um, good on Bob. He's uh, definitely contributed to my record collection and uh, I'm happy he did because some of the albums that he's done are mainstays in my, in my listening and in he, my record collection.
1: He helped uh, warp my young mind. Yeah, many, and we're
0: always grateful in, for that.
1: <laughs> many, 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 many ways. Yeah. So, thank you, Bob. Yes, thank you, Bob.
0: And uh, we'll send you out that invite to Austin to accept your Talk Louder Award. I know you're you're a pretty avid um, movie watcher. So this being a, a podcast about music, um, what is your favorite music based movie whether it's a documentary or a concert film or uh some sort of uh, comedy that has a music theme or stars a music artist that's that's what I'm throwing at you what do you have that fits that bill
1: my my knee-jerk reaction is would be every like rocker headbangers knee jerk reaction and that would be spinal tap
0: oh of course yeah
1: yeah the uh, yeah uh, i feel i feel like the research rob reiner did on that film (laughs) probably had to be a lot of fun yeah made the writing sessions for the for the movie like really great times yeah um Uh, I feel like Iron Maiden and Saxon were a big play in all of the things that were uh, being parodied uh, throughout (laughs) the movie. And all of those things have happened, uh, you know, in Rob Halford's book. They, you know, he talks about uh, him and Glenn Tipton go to the movie theater on a day off to watch, you know, the year that it came out when it was a new movie. uh, Yeah in the theater and (laughs) and they're in there just laughing their balls off and and enjoying the hell out of it and they're looking at each other like oh shit this is a that part's about us you (laughs) yeah just just the clothes and the just whatever because anyone who's ever been in a band all of that shit has happened to them like yeah take a wrong turn you can't find the stage yeah yeah <laughs> you, you get stopped at the airport for something inappropriate or or something else i mean I, i've got stories where you know similar things have happened i, I didn't have a uh, squash and my pants wrapped in <laughs> tinfoil, but you know, I had a steer skull in my luggage that the drug dogs sniffed out and the cops pulled, the undercovers pulled me over and said, can you tell us why the drug dogs would sniff out your bag? And I said, yeah, because I have a dead cow in there. You know, that, that's, the, that's the, you can ask me about that later. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, stuff like that, that could have been in Spinal Tap. You see what sure. I'm saying? So Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that's probably my knee jerk, but you know, on a serious note, the. It's a great answer. It's so yeah.
0: obvious. It, it's so obvious. I didn't even think about it, but yeah, great well, movie. Well, and, and another, great another, answer.
1: Another, another side of the serious side of me, cause I am, I am quite serious. It doesn't seem like it all the time, but <laughs> the people that know me that know, they know that I really do give a shit about, and I'm very proud of what I do. And, yeah. um, it's important to me and it's not just you know, writing songs about my balls. You know, I, <laughs> I write all kinds of stuff about that's heartfelt, and so yeah. the the uh, the fact. That on that note, uh, in in Rob Halford's book, uh, confession, or yeah, is it that? Yeah, confess. Sorry, confess. confess I've yeah, been getting that title wrong. Close enough, right? Confess. Yeah. Rob Halford confess. Everyone should get it. Everyone should buy the book and read it. It's if you if you like rock and roll, it's a great read. Uh He he. There's, so him and Glenn are in the theater watching watching Spinal Tap, having a great time, just like seeing these moments and realizing, oh shit, they, he got that from us, you know? Yeah. And there he and there only is just a few other like, you know, at, in attendance at this, at this showing, and they're like long-haired hard rock headbangers, and they're getting up in the middle of the film saying, "Fuck this, man! They're making fun of my shit, man! Fun <laughs> of me and stuff," and they're they're getting mad and they're walking out. Yeah, and, and that made Glenn and Rob laugh harder because because they don't they don't really get that it's a parody they think that it's you know it's like it's like making fun of someone's um livelihood right it's not that at all it's not right. making fun of what you what you do for a living it's not making fun of the kind of music that you like yeah. it's making fun of the bands uh that have had that sort of those things be mishap and like you're left uh, looking stupid because yeah. you 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 know it, it happens you but know. But you
0: you would only understand that and fully appreciate it if you're in a band because it's happened to you. The, so the
1: embarrassing you, moments yeah. are all there that we can relate to. <laughs> you know, on the serious side, there are like um, you know rock docs, uh, you know uh, Beyond the Lighted Stage. The Rush movie is Ooh. so good yeah it that was good, so good. It, it might be it might be my favorite um, but the recent uh, and I've mentioned this the new Bee Gees one yeah the Gordon Lightfoot have talked about on Talk Louder before yeah um, you know that's almost like another shot of rock and roll
0: it is yeah yeah but spinal tap, that's a great answer, and it's it's so obvious that when I asked the question, I didn't even have it on the top of my mind. so I'm glad you brought it up and I'm just just hearing you talk about it and and recalling all those scenes in the movie just has me laughing because it's such a classic. It's just. It's well, awesome. <laughs> yeah,
1: and we could do a whole show on that movie. We yeah. could do a Talk louder podcast <laughs> on the. Movie. Um yeah. but but it does make me make me think about um you know music related films and um you know you mentioned uh um uh the sound of metal that new thing and just that's a, a fictional uh thing that I think that you know deserve to be talked about because it kind of, you can relate to it and you know, people that can relate to it. So yeah. Um Yeah. My, my let's uh let's move on. Shot of rock and roll for you. Yes. Um This is related to uh our show today. uh Bob Ezrin related. What is your favorite deep cut? I mean, in my book, they're all deep cuts. So, you know, the, The the world is yours, Tony Montana. Uh, (laughs) What is your favorite deep cut off of kiss the elder? Oh man. I'm making you use your brain now. Yeah. And, um,
0: wow. So I have to confess right off the bat that I have never fully absorbed and never owned the elder. So, I don't know the album well enough to comment on deep tracks.
1: Well, you 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 it, know the what about the the ones you do know?
0: The ones I do know. So if the question turns into what's my favorite song off the yeah. Elder or let
1: it, w- let it be that.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I've always gone. I've always liked I, just because I, I think I've mentioned before it's the most Kiss sounding song on that record. It's a yeah, it's,
1: kind of it's the a obvious one
0: it's a good, solid rock and roll kiss type song. Um, But I remember uh, A World Without Heroes when it came out. That song
1: there is very Bob Ezrin.
0: I liked it. I thought it was kind of, an oddball for Kiss. I mean, especially at that point in their career, and if you saw the video, Ace Fraley's playing an acoustic guitar, they all cut their hair, Gene Simmons is shedding a tear at the end of the video. It's very unkiss. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm used to Kiss being the fire-breathing monsters and these Goliaths and Rock and roll all night and party every day type of thing. Yeah, so it t- was
1: tender moment surprise. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Like, much
1: like much like Alice Cooper with Only Women Bleed. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and and just those, uh, uh you know, uh, I never cry and things yep. like that. Those are Ezrin influenced things. Yep. Yeah, you don't realize, but I'm with you. I want I want there to be fire and blood, or it ain't rock and roll.
0: Yeah, but. There's And there's moments of it uh, on that album, I guess. I don't know all the moments on that album because I have to full confession here. I, I have never studied that album or absorbed it, and I couldn't tell you all the tracks on it. It was one of those albums. By the time it came out, I was kind of done with Kiss, and then everything I read about it – immediately at the time was, oh my God, what are they doing? And I was like, okay, I made the right decision. That album's not worth my time. And I probably owe it to Kiss because I'm such a huge Kiss fan. I probably owe it to them and to myself to go back and give it another listen and and see if it's as bad as it was, as history seems to remember it as. But uh, to answer your question, I'm going to go with the song I, just because it's the most Kiss sounding song that I'm aware of on that record.
1: Okay, that's that's fair. I like how you threw it out the window and then hit the brakes and backed up and opened the door. <laughs> yeah, and got it, got it back yeah, exactly. Th- yeah, that's good. Good for you. Good choice. Yeah, yeah. Choice.
0: All right. Well, I think we did a, a pretty good salute to Bob Ezrin. I hope he's uh, I hope he's listening, and I hope he's proud of the fact that we
1: called him out and dedicated a show to him. Because I, I, I doubt I doubt, he, I doubt he's listening, <laughs> but uh, I think that he would probably smile at least a little bit if he heard that a couple of knuckleheads really sort of uh, cherished his work uh, and molded our minds and and uh, <clears throat> gave us a reason and um gave everyone a reason holy crap
0: yeah what a long list of outstanding credits right
1: well you know if you like rock and roll and you don't have the record you know at least two or three of the records we mentioned in this record you need to be like you need a spanking <laughs> <laughs> yeah. something's wrong something's wrong with your rock yeah. and roll brain
0: so. <laughs> exactly yeah man w- well um Let's call it and save some more discussion for the next time. Uh, I've enjoyed this one. Bob Ezrin, uh, great, great producer who's touched my life, touched your life, touched the lives of a lot of people listening through his, uh, his work with some of our favorite bands and his work on some of our favorite albums. So with that, we'll sign off and salute you, Bob Ezrin. I'm uh, Metal Dave here along with my co-host Jason McMaster. We thank you all for listening to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast.